hey, what is worship? Why should we worship? And how do we worship in prayer? You know, some of us really aren't seeing the power of God in our lives the way we could because we don't pray. And a lot of us don't pray because we haven't been taught how to pray from scripture. But what many people don't know about prayer is that its primary purpose is for worship. In other words, prayer exists mainly for the purpose of worshiping God. Once you catch this revelation, your entire prayer life will never be the same. Let's jump into the scriptures to see what the word of God says. Uh, week seven of prayer. And um, the first six weeks we talked about why to pray, what prayer is. Um, now we're navigating more of the how-tos, how to pray. Um, if you can say such a thing, not that I want to restrict prayer to something you can learn in a classroom, but Jesus does, the scripture does, the disciples do indicate to us that prayer is something that you learn. And so prayer is, as we've defined in scripture, prayer is talking to God with intention, with purpose, as his beloved child and according to his word. I pulled that from John Piper, kind of customized it, made it my own. So prayer is talking to God with intention, with purpose, as his beloved child and according to his word. Now, the purpose of prayer is that God has determined prayer to be the method of causing certain things in our world, in our life, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our communities. Prayer is a way in which God has sovereignly decided, hey, prayer will be a method of causing certain things in your world, in your life. Not everything is restricted to that, but there are some things God says, I will only do if A, B, and C, if these people pray. And so some of us, frankly, aren't seeing the power of God in our life the way we know we could be, the way we long to, the way we've been, you know, believing to see the power of God in our life. Some of us aren't seeing the fullness of what God wants to do in our life. Probably one of the big reasons is that we don't pray. Now, I'm not saying you don't pray at all. I'm not accusing you of having no prayer life, but I, but I wonder to what degree we can be more persistent in prayer, be more consistent and have more biblical prayer times. And so I'm not going to boil down all of your life issues to just pray. It'll all go away. But I think a lot of what we could be seeing, we're not because we don't know how to pray. And many of us don't know how to pray because we haven't been taught correctly or we've, you know, pulled aspects of our prayer life from so many different unhelpful sources in our life that we don't recognize those things as not even being biblical. So one of the main purposes of prayer, as we'll discover today, and how to worship in prayer, one of the main purposes of prayer, what is, it's like in my eye, I can't see. One of the main purposes of prayer is worship. Prayer is a means by which we get to worship God. Now, I did say prayer is talking to God with intention and purpose. And one of the ways we talk to God and express our hearts and our affection and our love for God in prayer is, is what's called worship. So you need to understand, and we'll tackle this more today, what is worship? Why should we worship? How should we approach God in worship and prayer? And how do we worship God rightly in prayer? What does that look like? But before we tackle that, you need to understand that you, you and I, human beings, image bearers of God, we exist uh, to, to find deep satisfaction and pleasure and enjoyment in God. So our relationship with God, our friendship with God should be the source of whatever satisfaction and pleasure our soul longs for. It's found in God. He's the one who gives us that satisfaction and pleasure that our soul longs for, that we look in other places, that we run to video games for, that we run to sex for, that we run to, oh great, YouTube's gonna flag this video now, that we run to, you know, self-image and abilities and talents and people's approval and, and drugs and YouTube and mindless social media scrolling and popularity and physical appearance and advancing in my career and, a, 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 you know, 
grabbing all this stuff and seeing how much stuff I can buy. There are so many different things we run to looking for the satisfaction and pleasure that only God can give. And the way, not the only way, but one of the big ways we find enjoyment and find that pleasure in relationship with God is in what's called prayer. Prayer is our way of communing with God and talking to God and expressing our love and and thankfulness to God. So today, I want you to really focus on this fact that prayer is a means by which we get to worship God. That is not all prayer is, but that seems to be one of the main purposes for prayer. And that prayer is, you know, one of the big ways we get to express our love and worship to God, apart from the way we live and such. And so if if you as a believer can learn to see how prayer fits into your worship of God, you're, you're going to see much more fruit in your prayer life. You're going to see much more answered prayers. You're going to see much more enjoyment when it comes to you and walking with God. You're going to see much more motivation to pray. And I think, frankly, you'll find it far more enjoyable and easier to spend time with God in prayer when you learn to see prayer within the framework of worship. So I know I've talked a lot. Let me give you scripture for this. Prayer is, I I believe, primarily for worship. And you, we all have a different, or at least understand worship in a different way than each other doesn't mean we all have wrong ideas of worship, but there are certain facets of worship that each of us highlights, and that becomes the full definition of worship for us. I want to kind of expand your view of worship a little bit today. Psalm 141, it says this, the psalmist says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And so prayer right here, if I can highlight it, come on, baby. I'm going to highlight prayer in pink. Anything having to do with prayer. So, lifting up of my hands. Prayer. He's asking that the Lord would regard that as incense or as sacrifice. This is not unique to the psalmist. This is actually consistent with the patriarchs and and the Torah. And what we see all throughout the rest of Scripture is that prayer is a way to worship. And he's asking that the Lord would regard his prayer as acceptable sacrifice, as if he's bringing an animal offering and sacrifice to the temple where the priest would handle that and it'd be a gift to the Father. So Isaiah 44, 17, this is what, um, well, this is what's said about the false idols or the idols of the people of Israel and how they relate to those those idols. It says the rest of it referring to these idols uh, this is God speaking through Isaiah, kind of mocking idolatry, which is justified very much. It's the appropriate thing to do, at least from God's perspective. He can do this. He can do this. Uh, he talks about how, you know, you, let's say, we'll back it up. Um, he cuts down cedars. He chooses a cypress tree uh, and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. So this is humanity taking the resources God has provided, trees. And look at what, you know, rebellious humanity does. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and breaks bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half, he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Ah, I have warm, I have seed the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol. He falls down to it and worships it. How does he worship it? 
Well, he prays to it. He prays to it. And he says, deliver me for you are my God. How ridiculous is that? This is God showing the stupidity, the absolute foolishness of bowing down to the creation rather than the creator. And he does describe their worship or their prayer as being synonymous. He bows down and prays to it. That's what it looks like for them to worship their false idols. First Corinthians 29, first Chronicles rather, if I can read English, first Chronicles 29.10, it says, David blessed the Lord, highlight that in pink, in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you. So this is how David blesses the Lord. He talks to God and declares his praises in the form of prayer publicly. O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. I believe that when you read the King James Version and the New King James, at the end of Matthew chapter 6, the prayer of Jesus, or the prayer for the disciples, rather, um, I think in the King James, that actually ends, yours is the kingdom, the glory, the power forever and ever. Amen. And that's a good way to end prayer, is in worship and adoration. I think he's pulling from right here what David declares. But notice, blessing God and declaring his praise and worship is in the form of what? Prayer. This is not a new concept when we get to Matthew chapter 6. 2 Kings 19.15, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. I want you to see the, what he chooses to say and what is, what is called prayer. Hezekiah, the king of Israel, or I think at the time he's actually the king of Judah, um, he prays before the Lord and he says, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Notice how he opens his prayer with what? Declaring who God is in worship and praise. And then he goes, would you incline your ear and consider my request? And then he'll bring his request to God. 1 Samuel 2.1 is the last one. Just a few examples. For those that are like, I don't think prayer is supposed to be right. supposed to be worship. That's weird. I disagree with scripture. Not disagreeing with me. 1 Samuel 2.1, this is Hannah, the, the mother, I almost said the father, the mother of Samuel. And Hannah prays after receiving um, a word, actually, rather, having received a promise in the form of a child. In other words, God grants her a child when her womb was barren. And after having the child, she prays, and notice what she prays. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. One thing I believe is lacking, just in general, if I was to generalize the American church, I think one thing that's lacking is reverence to God in general, but specifically in prayer. We have our agenda, we have our checklist, we have our list of, well, really our Santa Claus list we'd like to bring God every day. And I think what is often neglected, what is most neglected, is that prayer exists to be a means by which I can declare the awesomeness of God and praise Him, just enjoy Him, just declare who He is. 
just stand in awe of him. I'm not reminding him of who he is. He hasn't forgotten. I'm actually reminding myself and I'm finding myself, you know, you know, growing in thankfulness towards God and, and adoration as I just declare who he is. This seems to be a very consistent use of prayer throughout the scriptures is that people use their communication line with God to just declare how awesome he is in prayer. So we need to establish what worship is, why we should worship God, and why in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus chooses to say, pray like this, and then he opens with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Of all the things Jesus could have chosen to open this prayer blueprint with, why does he say to start with, start with prayer, um, or rather start prayer with worship? Hmm. Let's check it out. What is worship? Well, I want you to consider some things. This is just a question I want you to really think through. This will begin to help you understand what worship is, and then I'll give you a clear, concise definition. But you as the listener, brothers and sisters around the world, I want you to think about this. On a daily basis, when you find yourself under pressure, when you find yourself facing things that you wish you would never have come across, when you find yourself under immense trouble and pain and heartache and situations that are completely out of your control, what do you run to for a sense of comfort, for a sense of safety? What do you run to for a sense of ease, for a sense of, and this will refresh me and reset me and kind of you know, help me forget about everything I'm going through. What is it that you run to? Do you run to people? Do you run to sexual pleasure? Do you run to anything validating your self-image? Do you run to how talented and the abilities that you have and the skills that you have? Do you run to Netflix? Do you run to YouTube? Yes, I have a list of examples. Do you run to video games? Do you run to alcohol? Do you run to past accomplishments and you just rehearse all the successes you've seen as if that's what gets you through your problems? Do you run to that one person, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever, I don't know, family, social media, your dog? Do you run to, I don't know, your career and all the money you have and all the stuff you have? What is it that you run to in trouble and under immense pressure? What do you run to for a sense of comfort and safety? For some kind of ease. I just need to I need to unwind and refresh and get away from all this. What do you run to? Is it your vacation that you have planned every year that you look forward to? All year that's the only thing that gets you through life? Is it the, the future potential of buying a house and that's the only thing keeping you going? What is it? I want you to think through this because whatever you run to in times of pressure, whatever you run to for or whatever is, is the first thing you run to, for comfort and safety, usually is an indication of what you value most and what you look to to fulfill you most. Whatever has most of your heart and most of your commitment and loyalty is what you look to in times of trouble. Now, when it comes to worship, the very simple definition in the Hebrew, at least, is to bow down and to prostrate oneself before. Now, I understand there's uh, there's a bunch of the semantic range of whatever word gets translated in Hebrew for worship is pretty large, meaning the concept of worship in different contexts can emphasize certain things. But the heart of the matter when it comes to worship in the Hebrew is to bow down before. It's to prostrate oneself before in reverence. I'm, I'm 
laying myself out prostrate and I'm just bowing down in reverence to one who is or something that I consider to be superior to me. The idea in Greek is to actually kiss the ground before a superior, to adore at one's knees. That's why in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you see a lot of that language attributed to like Caesar and, and those who are in authority and can do stuff about their situations. So when you think of worship, the heart of the matter is that you are, whether spiritually or physically, you are bowing yourself down before God or whatever it is that you think is worthy of your worship. But to define worship more helpfully, because you and I are like, that's, I don't do that a lot. Okay, fine. Worshiping God, very simply, is to express your love to God by honoring Him, by loving, by adoring, by thanking, by appreciating who He is and what He's done. Worship, very simply, is to express one's love or loyalty to. And that can be in the form of bowing down prostrate and, and stretching yourself out and, and kissing the ground. That, that, that can be a form of expressing that. But very, I think, very simply, worship is to, to express the love and the degree to which you treasure and appreciate God. Uh, whether that's in with your lips, with your life, with your resources, with your relationships, with your time, with the things God has called you to lay down and sacrifice, whatever it is, you're expressing love and, and, and adoration and thankfulness to God in some kind of act. But the heart of the issue is that I, tr I treasure God. I value Him. So that's why I asked you, what is it that you run to in times of pressure and when life is burdensome and overwhelming and you have nowhere else to go, what is that one thing, the first thing that comes to mind? Well, at least I have A, B, and C, or at least I can go to, you know, fill in the blank. Because whatever you value most is often going to be an indication or is going to determine rather what you're going to run to. And in that sense, you are expressing a kind of value and treasuring of that thing to keep you going to keep you from said trouble or to help you lift whatever pressure you're under. That doesn't mean, I'll, I'll save that for later actually, because I don't want to oversimplify the terminology, but to worship simply means to express love for something and express your loyalty and uh, allegiance to and the fact that your heart is committed to that thing or person. It influences how you live very simply. And so the question becomes, why worship God? That's it's a question people have. It's a question atheists have. And that's a question, frankly, not a lot of Christians know how to answer. Why worship God? Why worship Him? Well, I'll say this. And, and, and this might, I'm not starting with this because I'm the center of the universe and I'm the, whoa, hold on. <laughs> and I'm the central, you know, focus of prayer. But I, I will say this. Prayer is beneficial to you. Prayer doesn't exist primarily to be a benefit to you. You're not the central focus of prayer. You're not the central reason for prayer. You're not the purpose of prayer. But there are some ways in which God has chosen to benefit you through prayer. So consider this. Why worship God? Because God alone satisfies. God alone is worthy of worship. Psalm 16.11, the psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. It's pretty cool. In your presence... This is speaking of God 
in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. And I, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What is it that I find in the presence of God? Well, there are three things. The path of life, the fullness of joy, and pleasures forevermore. Those all seem to be connected. Can't really have fullness of joy without real life. Can't really have eternal pleasure without knowing the one who is life and having joy to indicate that. So at least these three things go together. But Psalm 1611 tells us these things are found in the presence of God. He's the substance. He's the source. He's the reason for these things. So apparently God is the one who really gives eternal pleasure. This is what Jesus talks about when he says, I'm the bread of life, right? I'll give you living water. Come and drink. Come and eat. Why is he comparing himself to that which nourishes the flesh, that which you know, physically replenishes the body's depleted resources? Well, because Jesus is showing us what he does for our soul. He satisfies the hunger, the, the, the longing, the desire, uh, the, even the aching of your soul, the thirst. He satisfies that. He quenches that thirst. 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says that, um, well, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. In other words, the believer should be more focused on what is invisible, more than he's, he or she is focused on what is seen with the eyes and perceived with the physical senses. For the things that are seen, they're transient. But the things that are unseen, they are eternal. In other words, what is unseen is eternal. We need eternal satisfaction that doesn't come from this temporary world. We need eternal pleasure in life and joy and deep pleasure that can satisfy my soul that is beyond this world, that doesn't come from this world, that is not originating in this world. And it comes from God. God alone satisfies and it's worthy of our worship. We could spend the whole, we could spend a whole 24 hours just talking about that, but we got to move on. The second reason to worship God is because God is worthy of our worship because of who he is and the fact that he satisfies, which might be just another way of saying what I've already said, but I had to get creative and not be redundant. So maybe the ideas are somewhat redundant here, but the ways I state them are not. Ha! You know, in, in this culture, this day and age, we're trained by society uh, to be self-centered. It's just the world we grow up in. That's the nature of rebellion is it's centered on self. And so if you're anti-God, anti-truth, anti-gospel, anti-Jesus, anti-God's kingdom, which is what the world is, then you're, that society, that culture, that way of thinking is centered on self and ignorant of God, doesn't want anything to do with God. So it's very hard when I'm, when I'm trying to teach you from the word of God to pray God-centered prayers, I am fighting an uphill battle and God can easily break through this and, and, and teach you and bring you into understanding but we are fighting an uphill battle when we're trying to learn to pray God-centered prayers because everything around you is screaming, you are the center of the universe. You are the one that life terminates on. You are, you are, and you're not. You're not it. I'm not it. None of us are it. The world doesn't center around us. The universe does not revolve around us. I'm not the reason for anything existing. I'm not the purpose of anything. God is. So when you learn to pray God-centered prayers, you will naturally find yourself worshiping more. Again, worshiping God is hard 
when all you think about is yourself and when everything around you screams, think about yourself, love yourself, satisfy yourself, go after whatever yourself wants, follow your heart. Shut up, Mulan. I'm not going to follow my heart. I'm going to follow God. We need to be concerned with God's opinion most. We have to be God-centered. So this is what Exodus 34, 5 through 7 is. says, if you love Mulan, I like the songs too, but get over that statement because that's what they say. Follow your heart. And I think this is trash. I tell my kids all the time, whenever it comes on, we don't follow our heart. They go, yes, we follow God because our heart can trick us. That's right. That's my boy. Exodus 34, 5 and 7, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. I love this passage. Easily one of my favorite passages in all of scripture is when Moses says, God, would you show me your glory? Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God answers that cry. And the Lord, this is how the Lord reveals his glory. He begins to proclaim his name. It's a fascinating way of saying God reveals his glory, his radiance, the unspeakable qualities that we can't even put language to, that which we can't even fully fathom or comprehend. He proclaims that glory in the form of declaring his name to Moses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, because the name refers to the character of the individual. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. Now watch. A God merciful. A God gracious. A God who is slow to anger. A God who is abounding in steadfast love and abounds in faithfulness. A God who keeps steadfast love for thousands. A God who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, meaning he is just. He visits the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation, which does not mean he punishes children for their father's and mother's sin. It means the inherent sin uh, of the individual is seems to be passed down by blood, by transmission to the offspring. What they do with that, how they handle that, every person is held responsible for their own sin, not their parents' sin. The point of me showing you this is to show you the character of God. God could have spent, and, and maybe he did, maybe God did say a lot of different things that aren't actually recorded for us by Moses. Maybe there's a lot that God didn't want recorded when he proclaimed his name. But at least this is what we need to know about the Lord. So when you go, why should I worship God? Why should I express my love and thankfulness for God? My life is falling apart. I'm waiting for a job. My car's broken. My wife just left me. I don't even want to live anymore. I'm drowning in depression and addiction. And I'm honestly just depressed beyond all belief, waiting to end it all. What, for what, why would I ever worship God? Let's, let's stop thinking that we only have reason to worship God as long as I have any personal benefits of my, in my life of his presence. We think, I, I only have reason to worship God when that reason is centered around me. Pause. The reason we worship God, the reason he's worthy, actually has nothing to do with you. Now, you do benefit from his blessing. You do benefit from his grace and his kindness. But the ultimate reason to worship God is not because he blank me. No, cut yourself out of the equation. Cut your life out of the equation. We worship God for who he is, 
apart from our lives. Like even if he never, ever interacted with us, never, ever invaded our lives and changed our lives for the better and and blessed us and gave us life, even if he did none of that, simply who God is in outside of time and space and eternity, who he is, is the main reason why we worship him. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He is abounding in faithfulness. You think of the word abounding, think overflowing. My cup overflows. I don't have enough room to store this. This is the grace and the mercy of God. He's abounding in love. He's abounding in faithfulness and loyalty and commitment to his people. He keeps steadfast love for thousands when he does not have to. He forgives iniquity. He is quick to forgive and he's slow to anger. We flip-flop those and live quick to anger and slow to forgive. All transgression, all sin, he's quick to forgive. But he will by no means clear the guilty. He is just. We can go on and on. And I have a list of things I'd like to share about who our God is to remind you why you can worship him in every single moment, in every single situation, in every environment, you have reason to worship him. Our greatest reason to worship and praise God and express love and thankfulness for him, to him, is because of who he is. You and I usually start with what God has done for me. And I go, thank you, God, for blank, blank me, providing for me, loving me, caring for me. And those are fantastic reasons to worship God. But those are not the ultimate reasons. It is, God, you are holy. You are gracious. You are kind. And even if you were never those things directly to me, that is fundamentally who you are. That's who you've always been. And that's who you'll always be. So we worship God for who he is. Now, what God does reveals who he is. So everything that God does in our life, in our world, points to himself. So you realize the greatest treasure is not the things God gives me or the things God does for me. Those are not the greatest treasure. He is. Those things just point me to the one who is the greatest treasure. And I've probably used this in every sermon in this series, but it's worth going back to. The psalmist says, and he's just working from this assumption, it's crazy. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Why would I praise God? Well, because your steadfast love is better than life itself. The love of God is so satisfying. It, when you are, when you find yourself deeply satisfied by the fact that the God of the universe, the King of the universe loves me. When you find yourself thinking about that, you start to become more satisfied and content in your soul. And the natural result of that is that you'll begin to express worship and praise and thankfulness and love for God simply because of how satisfying and how wonderful he is. So why should I worship God? Well, because of who he is. So you go, well, how how do I approach God? The most appropriate way in every circumstance to, to approach God is in the fear of the Lord. And I've done several messages on the fear of the Lord, but 
there's so many dimensions I could I could emphasize the reverence, the respect, the awe, the healthy trembling. Um, the the God is so holy, He's so otherly, He's so beyond me. It actually causes me to tremble a bit, not because I'm afraid of what He'll do to me, but because I'm standing in the presence of something that is so above and beyond me. It, I mean, it's, we, we experience this with natural, uh, even natural kind of things like creation or tornadoes or earthquakes or you know tsunamis or when you stand in front of the ocean and you go it is so vast there's a sense of i have respect for those waters that can destroy me i have respect for this tornado that can sweep me away and knock me back to the third grade i have a sense of these things are more powerful than me how much more god to fear the lord there's so many ways to understand that to turn away from evil to hate sin to love the lord but when we pray, when we worship, there should always be this reverence, this sense of awe, this sense of respect, and approaching one who is infinitely above and beyond me, yet he allows me to be in his presence. And there is a sense of trembling. I'm not afraid he'll do anything to me. I just understand how great he is, and I find it incredible that he chooses to even notice me. So we must fear the Lord as king. And we must know him as our father. There's a balance to this. Some people overemphasize the, the, the trepidation side of things and the trembling. And they, and they almost freak out like, God, please don't kill me right now. And that's not the heart. The heart is you're amazing. But also balance that with you're my father and you tell me I can come before you. Psalm 111 verse 8 talks about how the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness, which I'm thinking is not the verse that I had in mind, but it's a good verse to read nonetheless. Uh, I think it was Psalm 11.8. By the way, people ask what program I use. For now, I'm using Bible study by Olive Tree, but I'm going to start using more of Lagos. Uh, Psalm 111.10. Ding it. That's the verse I wanted. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding, and his praise endures forever. Notice the recognition of how God is worthy to be praised alongside the concept of fearing God. Fearing God means I acknowledge that you are worthy of so much more than what I can bring you. And you're so far, and you are not restricted to this world. You're nothing like I... You're nothing like what this world system thinks. You're above and beyond it. And we have glimpses of you, God, but you are so much more. It's just that it's just the natural response when something small comes in contact with something big. We approach God as our holy king in prayer when we worship and praise God. That's why Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's happening there? is as we pray, we should remember where he dwells, how great he is, how big he is, how supreme he is, and obviously how small we are in relation to him. But also, we don't just remember where he is, our father, but remember who he is to us. He's our father. He exists in heaven, and his name is holy. So there should be a trembling and a, and a sense of respect when we approach him to, I want to treat your name as holy. Now, Isaiah chapter 6 is a fantastic passage if you just want to remember how amazing your God and King really is. Isaiah 6 tells us, In the year that King Uzziah died, 
As he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is the God who fills all things. And above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Because he has six wings, so why not? And one called to another. These are the creatures that surround the throne of God. And they're calling to each other. And this is what they're calling to each This is what they're saying to each other. Now, it is directed to God, but it's also directed to each other. That's why a lot of the Psalms are praises to God that are like stirring up the people and going, come on, people, let's praise his name. So they, he's, the seraphim go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy very simply means distinct from, other than, set apart, just in a class and a category, all on his own. God is set apart and uniquely different. He's otherly. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Notice the repetitive, the repetition of this idea of filling. God fills the temple. The earth is filled with his glory. The house is filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. This is Isaiah the prophet. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. That kind of healthy trembling and awe. And you can read on and see how amazing this narrative ends up being. But when we approach God in worship, that is the kind of heart to maintain. That is the kind of perspective we need to try and maintain when we approach him. Is you are not just my bud. You're not, he is a friend of those who are, who trust in him, right? But that does not mean he's on your level. (laughs) He does come down to our level to humble himself, to lay down his life. But oh, he is so much higher. He's not just some created being. It's like, hey, high five, buddy. You want to watch some Netflix? This is the king of glory who sustains all things by the word of his mouth. So when we approach God, there, there should be in prayer a sense of respect and awe and even healthy fear of the Lord trembling. But we approach him as our loving father. So this is what needs to be balanced. Matthew 10, verse 28. It sounds like something to be terrified of at first, right? You're like, yeah, God can kill me. That's right. But hold on. It says, don't fear those who could kill the body, but can't kill the soul. He's talking, the context is persecution. Rather, instead, you should fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who ultimately has the authority to declare someone is condemned to separation in hell? Who has that authority to make that judgment? God alone. God alone does. But notice how he shifts. Jesus goes, well, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? You're like, kind of a sharp turn, Jesus. Talking about being destroyed in hell. And then you're like, aren't birds not valuable? Now one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. What does that have to do with being separated from God in hell? Watch, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, 
you're of more value than many sparrows. What's the point? If sparrows, which don't have tremendous value, are cared for personally by your father, and you are more valuable to him, how much more does he care for you? Well, he actually numbers the hairs on your head. So why, why pair that with, don't forget, God can kill both the soul and body in hell. What does that have to do with that? Because when you remember how amazingly awesome and powerful and righteous and holy God really is, and then you pair that with the fact that he chooses to invite you into his family to be his child and he'll care for you as your father, it changes the game. There is a healthy reverence of what, I I respect what God can do. But as my father, I know he won't do that to me because I'm his child. There's a sense of security. In other words, the power of God to his enemies is terrifying. The power of God to his children is reassuring. It actually causes us to be more secure and feel more safe. He's a stronghold to us. He's destruction to his enemies. He's protection to us. And he's judgment upon the enemies that come against us and his kingdom. So that's how to approach God in prayer and in worship is to, is to balance that. Yes, Lord, you are holy. You are righteous. You're above all. You are supreme. You're the eternally existent one. You're uncreated. You're immutable, right? You're all these things. But I think what is most valuable to me is the fact that you choose to let me be in your family and you choose to bring me in and care for me as my father. So the question becomes, well, how do we worship God in prayer? We talked about what is worship? Why should we worship? How should we approach God in reverence and respect as our father? Father, not father. <laughs> how, do we, how do we worship God in prayer becomes the last question. How do we worship God in prayer? Let me take you back to Matthew 6. Remember what Jesus says. He says, pray like this. Our Father, number one, in heaven, number two, hallowed be your name, number three. Those three things are very important when it comes to prayer. Remembering who he is to you, remembering where he dwells and how supreme he is. And remembering that his name is holy and as children of God, we should seek to live in such a way where we keep his name sacred. So worship starts with remembering who God is. If I could, if I could just program every believer to do one thing in prayer, if I had that choice and God was like, anything you want. Every believer across time and space will always do this one thing in prayer. It would be to remember, spend time remembering who he is. That's what I would program believers to do if I could. I would, I would want every believer in every, every time you approach God in prayer to spend some time, almost like take some time to decompress and transition from everyday normal life to I'm approaching the holy presence of God. Whether that be in my car while I'm driving or whether I'm doing the dishes or mowing the lawn or 
in the shower or sitting in front of a TV and I go, this is not entertaining anymore. I'd like to think about something worth my attention. And that's God. Remembering who God is is so important. And when it comes to prayer, I find it interesting that Jesus chooses to start off this prayer with our Father in heaven. Why do I need to remember that he's in heaven? Why do I need to remember he's my father? Why do I need to remember that his name is holy? I think because biblically, I'm going to show you why. In order for me to pray the appropriate prayers, like have the right request, have the right perspective, have the right, you know, desires for me and my family and the world, I need to prepare my mind for prayer almost by renewing, by reminding myself who God is. I need to remind myself, I need to rehearse, I need to remember, I need to think through all the things he's done and who he is and what he says. And as I remember who he is, as I declare who he is, as I worship who he is, which is the name of God, my heart is now ready to begin praying things that are centrally focused around God and not me. Psalm 63 verse 5 through 8 talks about this, where the psalmist chooses to do this at night. No infomercials coming on, blaring through the television when he wakes up at 3 a.m. Instead, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. What does David do when he wakes up in the middle of the night? What does David do as he's falling asleep? He remembers God. For you've been my help This is what he remembers. You've been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Your right hand upholds me. This is just what David chooses to remember. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Have a set of things, maybe like a list of three to five things you can recall at any time to remind yourself who God is. Under pressure, in turmoil, in suffering, in joy, in in victory, at any moment you can go, those three things are are, are most valuable to me about God. And I just, I want to have that list on, just on, on tap. So before my heart can be ready to worship and effectively ready to pray, I need to take time to remember how great my God is. That is my greatest recommendation when it comes to today's message is spend time remembering how great God is before you pray for anything, before you ask for anything, before you bring your requests and your petitions and your complaints and your frustrations. Remember who he is. If you have to rehearse certain scriptures, rehearse life events, rehearse the salvation he's given you, here's what I would recommend, okay? Let me just go through this list, which you can find in the sermon notes for free in the YouTube description. You'll find this list. God is, I'm just going to give you a bunch of characteristics of our God, which sets him apart from everything else that exists. God is holy. Not just referring to his moral uprightness and his blamelessness and his sinlessness and his moral perfection. He is set apart from everything. He has no rival and no equal. There's no one on equal footing with God. There's no one besides him. There's no one alongside him. There's no one competing for that spot on the throne. He is otherly and different. God is righteous. God is right in all his judgments and in all that he does. God is just. He rules with perfect justice. God is worthy. He deserves our praise. God is generous. He shares and gives what we do not deserve. God is perfect. There's zero imperfection. There's not a single thing you can improve in God. God is merciful. 
he holds back the bad things we justly deserve. And God is gracious. He gives us the good things we don't deserve. God is patient. He is long-suffering. He patiently waits for us to come to him. He makes it possible in life for us to find our way to him and believe and hear the gospel. God is kind. He is compassionate. He is loving. He's all-powerful. He possesses all power and authority to do as he pleases. He looks at the nations and says, these are nothing compared to me. He can do anything he wants in the heavens above and on the earth below. God is sovereign. He's in charge. He's in rule. He's ruling every single detail. He's in control, making all things work together for the good of his people and to move forward his ultimate plan of redemption to bring in new creation. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at once. He fills every single microspace of the universe. God is all-knowing. He knows everything possible. He knows everything that will happen. He knows how it's going to happen. He knows how to work all of that into our good and the plan he has of redemption. God is perfect wisdom. Everything that he does is best. And he shares that wisdom with his people. God is almighty. He is supreme. He's above all. There's no one that comes even close. God is immutable. He doesn't change. He's reliable. He's faithful. He's constant. He's not subject to change. He's not subject to shifting shadow. He doesn't mold into the, the, the culture and the times. He does not change. God is self-sufficient. He relies on nothing outside of himself. He upholds himself. He upholds all things. The whole universe relies on his word, hangs on his word. God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He depends on nothing for existing. He pre-exists time itself. He always has been. He always will be. God is infinitely high, but he's intimately near. He's way above us, but he's just as close to us. God is perfect love. He's the essence and the definition and the source of love itself. God is good. There's no darkness there's no evil in God. He does what is best for us and for his glory. God is upright. He's not crooked or deceitful. He's perfect. He's true integrity. God is glorious. He's majestic. He's beautiful. His goodness radiates. His goodness permeates the entire universe. God is incomprehensible. We cannot perfectly know anything about God. We cannot perfectly understand in fullness every, anything about who God is. At least this side of heaven. God is preeminent. He's the highest. He's the most valuable. God is actually jealous for his glory and for his people. And God is faithful. He's loyal and he's true to his word. And he'll do what he says. So this is, this is who God is. Isn't it? So when you lack the words, when you lack the thoughts, when you lack the ideas, when you lack the language and you just sit and you go, I'm supposed to be praying. I just don't know where to start. Just begin rehearsing and remembering who God is. And when we remember God, there's this thing called thankfulness and worship that begins to arise in his people. Psalm 97:12 says, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Give thanks to his holy name. There's, a, there's something called thankfulness begins to well up in me as I choose to rejoice in the Lord, meaning I choose to focus on that which promotes joy in my life, being the character and the nature of God. So in prayer, God's glory has to be our greatest desire and concern. 
It's not like God is holding a gun to your head going, my glory must be everything. But it is to your benefit, and he is worthy of that. And it is for the best that in prayer, God's glory is your greatest concern and desire. This should be the ultimate desire that every other desire flows from. Every other desire is secondary to God being glorified. This has to be our our heart in prayer, our greatest priority, our first request, which is the foundation for everything else we'll ask. Psalm chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, and I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. So what does the psalmist do? In order to be thankful and begin thanking God, he just recounts all the wonderful deeds of God. I will be glad and I will exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. David is saying what he will do, what he intends to do, and it's built on this idea of remembering all the wonderful deeds of God. And by doing so, he begins to thank God. You can choose to thank God before you're even thankful. That might mess with a little bit of your theology and the way you think your brain works. Psychologically, it's not like you're manipulating your brain. You're actually going, hey, there's a lot of things I'm forgetting I can be thankful for. So I'm not just going to start thinking about them. I'm going to say them to God in the form of thankfulness. Thank you, God, even if I don't mean it. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. And you go, what do you mean if you don't mean it? Because as I just recall who he is, I know I can be thankful for this, and I should be, though my heart is not there yet. But as I, the deeper I go into remembering who he is and rehearsing what he's done, my heart begins to well up with thankfulness and match with those requests and those, you know, all the things that God has done. So I'll tell you, This is what God invites us to do in prayer that a lot of people don't, don't do, is thank God for who he is and what he's done. And notice how this comes before you make a single request. Now, I don't want to be so legalistic and restrictive to say, you can't ask for a single thing until you thank God and praise him and worship for at least 30 minutes. Don't put all these human conditions and restrictions upon what it looks like to worship God in prayer. Sometimes as I'm driving, I'll just, I'll look at creation and go, it's crazy that you keep me alive and you sustain all this stuff. Or I'll just look at the time and be like, dang, we still have two hours. God, we're pretty far. And sometimes those random thoughts are off ramps to Thanksgiving. Now I'll say that again. Sometimes random thoughts, when I invite God into that space, when I invite God into that moment, those thoughts become off ramps to thankfulness. Where you go, I was just thinking about creation. I was just thinking about how long I have to go. And I, and I just thought of the fact that, God, I can drive. I have eyes. I have hands that work. I have a car that runs. I have a family that I love. God, thank you. God, thank you. Learn to see life and, I don't know, even see your own thoughts and imaginations as off-ramps to thankfulness and worship. Even if it's in the midst of temptation and you're like, ah, oh, I, hate, I hate sin, I hate temptation, don't let me give in, go, oh, I can begin thanking God for the fact that he gives me a spirit to fight. I can thank God that he's forgiven me of this sin. Not that I'm going to give in, but that I'm holy and righteous in the midst of me being tempted. Thank you, God. That is what honors God. You know that, right? Not the lip service, not the, not the you know, 
an ungrateful heart attached to religious activity, but a heart that is even in the midst of it, you're like, let's say you start off ungrateful and you're like, I don't feel thankful, but I know in my knower that I have reason to be thankful. So I'm going to remember those things and state them as thank yous to God, though my heart is not there yet and I'll get there. And when my heart gets there, ooh, watch out, Satan. I'm, I'm living in thankfulness. You know, the power of thankfulness, it's insane. Not even just psychologically, but spiritually, emotionally. Philippians 1, 3 through 4 says this. I can remember all that God has done. And Paul does this in his prayers. I thank my God, my God, and all my remembrance of you. He says the same thing in Colossians 1, 3. He says the same thing in most of his letters. I remember God and I thank him for you guys. Jesus in his prayer, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise. Really weird thing to thank God for. But when you see it, you're like, that's really cool. And the understanding, you revealed them to little children. Thank you. Colossians 4.2 tells us how imperative it is to live thankfully. Live with thanksgiving. Live with worship. Live with adoration. Live in a place where you're constantly rehearsing who God is and what he's done for you. And watch the power of God in your life. It is so important. Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What has God done for me? He saved you. He forgave you. He adopted you. He blessed you. He loved you. He died for you. He lived for you. He purchased you. He keeps you alive. He makes you perfect. He gives you what you need. You can go on and on. Just start with a few of those. And again, don't put some human limitations and conditions on this. I, I can't even make a request to God until I've spent at least 10 minutes worshiping and thanking him. Don't be weird. I'm just saying in prayer, it is helpful to go, I was just about to throw this complaint and frustration in the face of God. I think before I do that, I just want to remember who it is that I'm approaching, lest I treat him like my weird uncle that I don't want to come to Thanksgiving. So here are some example prayers. God, thank you for freeing me and making your ch me your child. God, thank you for dying for me and wanting to save me from my sins. God, thank you for breaking addiction in my life. God, thank you for putting a roof over my head and putting supply in our pantry. God, thank you for giving me a loving family. Thank you that I have arms and legs that work. God, thank you for a brain that can understand and, and think through things and eyes that see. God, thank you for wiping away all my sins and inviting me into your family. Here's the most important thing about worship and thanksgiving and, and why I believe Jesus intentionally starts prayer with this. When you choose to worship and thank God in prayer first, God gives you his perspective of everything you were going to pray about. It's just what happens. When you when your heart and soul begins to lift up to the place where God is and you worship him and, and you just start to, you know, be caught up in the presence of God and you're just overwhelmed by his goodness and love, there's something that God does where he gives you his perspective. Maybe it's not immediate. Maybe it takes a little bit of time to press in for. Maybe it happens at the end of your prayer throughout your day. But to worship and thank God in prayer really does give me his perspective of my problems. It helps me see things from his eternal 
heavenly vantage point so that I'm not as frustrated or overwhelmed or burdened or depressed. This is what the psalmist says. And then we're done. Psalm 73, it says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean, washed my hands in innocence. You ever just get in that place where you're hangry and you start saying things that you know is completely whack and you're like, there's no way this is actually true, but it's how I feel. That's David here. For nothing, I've kept my heart clean. Washed my hands in innocence for nothing. All day long I've been stricken. And we'll get to godly complaints later. Every morning I'm rebuked. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought about how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. In other words, David got to a place where his heart was saying these things, thinking this thing, he was feeling these things, and he went, this is really burdensome to try and make sense of what's discouraging me to try and make sense of what's going on. He said, it's really exhausting to try and make sense of how I was feeling and what was going on. And Isn't that the story of our hearts? Sometimes it's so exhausting and it drives you further into frustration and confusion and depression when you try and make sense of things apart from God. But he goes, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then... I discerned their end. Because he's looking at the wicked going, they're always at ease. They increase in money. Look at me. Like a vagabond. Just a wandering nobody. Kept my heart clean for nothing. Washed my hands. The wicked, fantastic lives. And we look at the world the same way, don't we? Sometimes we grow jealous of the wicked. We're jealous of things we shouldn't even want. But he goes... Then I went into the sanctuary of God and presumably to pray and worship and meditate. And then he discerned their end. It's a fascinating insight into the way prayer works to give you the eternal's perspective of God. That's what we need. Counseling has its place. Therapy has its place. You know, education has its place. But at the end of the day, you know, human counsel, those things can't give me the understanding and the perspective of the eternal God who dwells in heaven, sees all things in relation to the end, sees how they all come together in Christ, sees how it all works out, sees how he'll get us through it. We don't see that until we drive ourselves to pray. Now, This is the beautiful thing about prayer. Someone said, isn't this the Psalm of Asaph? Yeah, Psalm of Asaph, you're right. Not David. But the Asaph, (laughs) replace what I said about David. The person who's praying this, looking at all this, confused, frustrated. But then there's something about getting in the presence of God and just kind of shutting it all down. Like he's your safe space. He's the place where you can process. He's the one who gives you insight. And perspective and letting him show you things that you you weren't seeing because you weren't looking from his vantage point you were looking from a purely humanistic perspective and a limited 
human reasoning, you know, vantage point and trying to go, I just don't see it, God, where are you? And he's going, mm, come and seek me. I'll give you perspective. This is one of the most beautiful things about prayer for me is that I can look at my life and be so overwhelmed and frustrated and pissed off, honestly, blaming God, going, where are you? His promises are garbage. I feel like I don't even want to live holy anymore. Like those weird feelings you get where you're like, I'm going to go back to A, B, and C. I'm going to do the most ridiculous thing. And your heart's like deceiving at times. At least the flesh, rather. And in those moments when I just go, I don't want to pray, but I know it's good for me. I'll just pray and I'll go, I know you're holy. I know you're just. I know you see things I don't. And the longer you sit in that, the presence of God really does begin to bring clarity to whatever it is you're going through. He has a a way of doing that. And that's what I want you guys to have, is that I want you to take advantage of that and not just go, here's my requests, do it, as assuming that your request is correct. That's, that's a lot of the times what we do. We assume our request is, the, is what should happen. <laughs> and we go, God, you will because you're good and this is good. So if you don't, then you're bad. And then there's no way I'm wrong. It's like, eh, actually, you might be wrong. How about that? You might be wrong. So we need to learn how to not assume that everything I want is good and everything I pray for is good and go, Lord, your will be done. And I, that's what I want to invite you guys into is today in those moments where you don't know how to make sense of what's going on. No one can. Everyone's going, beats me. I have no idea why that's happening. I have no idea how to deal with that. I have no idea what you should do. You go, okay, Lord, I'm going to go to you. And I'm just going to remember, I'm not even going to bring this request. I'm just going to sit and worship and thank you. And when you do that before you bring any requests or do anything else, by the time you get to your requests, by the time you get to your checklist, by the time you get to everything you want God to do, you'll notice some things have changed a bit because you sat with God long enough to realize what I initially wanted wasn't best. I was silly for thinking that. I was silly for feeling that. I was silly for wanting that. And God brought clarity. That's what I want for you guys. So I encourage you to take the sermon notes that are linked in the description below. They're free. Download them. Read through them. Read the scriptures yourself. Spend some time in prayer. Seek God on your own. And take advantage of those small group questions or even those questions that you can just ask yourself and really think through these things. And watch um, watch God go to work and change your prayer life. If you guys didn't know this already, um, you can visit AboveReproachMinistry.com. We have a bunch of free resources. I know some of you are new and you don't know this. So we have free online Bible study courses. Our online church is ridiculously awesome. Um, on the Discord app, you can go check that out if you're looking for an online church community. Obviously, our YouTube channel, we have a podcast, so all these messages end up on podcast if you want to listen later on, wherever you listen to podcasts. We have a second podcast called Above Reproach Church Podcast. It's for the local church. We have completely free Bible study courses for those that want to learn how to read the Bible at your own pace and online. We have free devotional studies um, that are keyword based that will teach you um, how to 
recognize patterns and themes and all those cool things. Bible study workshops where I do them real time. They're free as well. All this stuff is free on this page. All my sermon notes, all the messages I've done, the Bible study worksheets we have. Um, and all these free resources are made possible because of generous supporters like you guys. So thank you guys for making this possible. I have a wife and two kids. We live in South Carolina. We're looking to eventually, Lord willing, plant a church. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see. I don't just make videos. <laughs> it's one of the biggest misunderstandings people have about this ministry. You just make videos, you have no idea. Um, so our online church is pretty lit. It's awesome. Um, go check that out. And then I have a book titled Fruitful. If you want to learn the essential keys to living the most abundant Christian life, the book is called Fruitful. You can go check that out. Um, and then you can sample it here if you don't want to feel comfortable buying it. You're like, I don't know. You can just read it, check it out for free, sample it and go, mm, okay, make a decision. And then um, got the Discord app. If you're a new believer, maybe you just came to Jesus. Maybe your faith got reignited and you're like, it's like I've not been saved, but I know I was. I just My faith has been reawakened. Click new believer right here. These are all the, the, the teaching videos, the resources that as a new believer, I think would be amazing for you guys to know and have things that I wish I had known all these messages. Um, and I think will be a blessing to you. And then our church community, how to find a good biblical church. And then if you want to support this ministry um, and help us continue making all these free resources to available to everyone around the world. You can click support us, go to abovereproachministry.com slash donate, and then you can send a check to this P.O. box, donate debit or credit card, PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, Patreon, some exclusive benefits, and then get some church merch if you want to represent Jesus on your body. You wear some cool sweatshirts and whatever it may be that will strike up good conversations with people. And that is all I have for you guys today. Um, pretty, um, if, if you sensed it, a pretty intense message that I really pray blesses you and takes you deeper into prayer. That's my that's my heart. So you guys would learn to pray and learn to seek the Father and enjoy His presence. That's all I got for you guys. God bless your people. Bless this word. Let it strengthen your people. Teach them how to pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Father, for what you've done in lives and communities that I'll never see for your faithful. And I'll see you guys Wednesday for our Q&A. All right, keep moving towards Jesus and I'll see you guys on Wednesday.